Ladies and gentlemen, if you happen to be picnicking in here from lunchtime, you may need to leave, although you'll be pressed to find anywhere better to stay. And uh, we well, are... Well, there's Iran upstairs. Yeah, that's true. I'd rather be there, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, maybe... Would you do this and I'll slip up to Iran? Yeah. After this morning, I'm surprised there aren't 15... What is it? How many hundreds are we here? 1,500 people onto their travel agents as we speak. I mean, why would you want to go anywhere else? It was so exciting. I said to John at lunchtime, you know, we forget how much on the winning side we are and what extraordinary things are going on around the world. So it was very uplifting. Very good. We are about to embark on some teaching or some talking, really, with you about, we've called it Back to the Future, and we've been teaching asked... Teaching would be a grand way of looking at it. Do you think it. teaching? Well, let's start. Sharing, sharing our deplorable ignorance would be a better <laughs> description. Here we are. We do our best. We do our best. We are talking about back... We called it Back to the Future. In other words, we want to look back to where we've come from out of huge gratitude. And given that we were actually there when it started, it would be quite fun to talk about that. But also, not just to dwell there, because one doesn't. One occasionally looks back, but really, we are on a mission, we're on a journey, we're on a pilgrimage, and everything we're doing now is as unto something in the future. We are a forward-looking people. And so we want to talk about our past and why it's so precious, but also with a view to talking about the future. And it's interesting because as I began to think about this, I thought the Bible is full of paradox. Because basically the Bible says, remember not the former things. And then Paul goes on to say, remember, remember, remind each other, go on remembering, remember Christ Jesus. So it's full of those things. And then he says, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies. So the Old Testament is full of, remember, O Israel, the Lord your God. And then, of course, there is the sublime and ongoing metaphor or illustration of the Passover. Every time the Jews did Passover, they remembered what God had done. Every time we take communion, we remember what Jesus has done. And yet, alongside the remembering, there is also forget what lies behind. Remember not the former things. Behold, I am doing a new thing. On you go. So there is a paradox. So between us, we want to wend our way through the sort of tension, if you like, of the both and, remembering and forgetting all at the same time, which is quite a tall order. So far, so good? Uh, uh, yeah, do you think? Is, How is, do you think it's going? I think you're riveting. <laughs> <laughs> do you know he's but been then, saying that now for how many? 46 years? Yes. 40th wedding anniversary coming up. So cool. And uh, we've been saying this to each other for, for years. Yeah. We are riveting to each yeah. other. <laughs> are you going, you going to give me a kiss now, or are you going to wait till later? Later. <laughs> I have witnesses. <laughs> yeah, rather too many for okay, my liking. Okay, let's just insert, before we launch into it, let me just insert a footnote or a caveat or a warning like you get on a packet of cigarettes. You know, this could kill. It's true. This, uh, um, we're going to talk about a bit about the past, and the, the difficulty about talking about the past is that the risk is, at least, the risk is that it, it, it could come across, to those of you listening, that this is, we're harking back to the glory days. 
uh, and therefore you feel, you end up feeling, well, I wasn't around there. You know, I never met John Wimber. I don't even know, you know, he, I don't even, you know, I hardly know who he is, except, you know, he described himself as a fat man trying to get to heaven. Do you know, um, so I just wanted to subvert, if, if that's the way this comes across, we apologize in advance. It's only, it's to do with heritage, and this is where we've come from, but I don't think any of us believe, certainly the two of us don't, that there's nothing but the glory days ahead of us. I mean, look around, yeah. look around the movement at the moment, and just listening to some of the advances that John and Debbie and their team are, are talking about. You know, nobody's standing still, nobody's hitched to the past. Yeah. But if it's helpful to put it in context and fill in some of the gaps in your thinking and understanding, because as leaders, you need information. You need, that's part of what you do, is your purveyors of information to the people you lead. But I assure you, there are people around the room, I'm just looking, there's Nanie Farrelly there who's talking, but if she weren't talking, she would be listening. <laughs> and then there's Neil and Kate right at the back. Come and wave at me, oh, Neil really? and Kate. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. They lead the Southwest London Vineyard, which was... Uh, so we worked together for many years in Southwest London. And the serious point I wanted to make, and there are others around here. I can't see them all. I did see, but others around here who have been around for a long time. And you would be very wise to grab them and take them aside and say, just you know, fill in some of, the, some of the bits that John and Eleanor left out. Um, because it, you're just getting one perspective, and that's ours. Okay? Many of you Why will are you looking at me like that? Because I, that was great. You were wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. This whole, this whole thing began, and you'll, many of you will have heard the story, and I'll rattle through it very fast. But in 1977, a small group of people met together in a back room of a home in Yorba Linda, California. They were all believers, they were Christians, they had done more Bible studies than was good for anybody, they'd been to every prayer meeting they possibly could, they were thoroughly religious, and they said they had the pointy hats of Pharisees. <laughs> and they were burnt out, done in, fed up, and cross. And they met together in this room, and they suddenly started finding themselves just crying out to God for his mercy. And one of them was a boy who was almost a street boy, he was about 15 or 16, but he could play the guitar, and he grabbed a guitar, and he started to play songs. And they were different from any of the hymns that they'd all ever sung in the Quaker church or in any other church, in, the, in whatever they'd been a part of, Calvary Chapel. And they started to sing little songs, little easy, quick, snappy little songs to Jesus. Nobody thought to do it like that before. And they cried out, and then they started singing the psalms, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And it was the cry of their hearts, and they were desperate. They then began to get excited because the Lord heard their cries, and he started to visit them, and the presence of God came into the room, and everything started to change. And historically, the history of the vineyard, and I would even like to say the history of the church in the last 50 years, was affected by what happened in that back room. And God heard their cries, and he had mercy. A week or two later, 
John Wimber, whose wife was part of that group. Month or two later. Month or two later. John Wimber, he was traveling at the time as a church growth consultant, and he came back to Yorba Linda to home, and Carol Wimber, who was part of that group, and her sister-in-law, said, John, you've got to come to our group. There's something new going on. There's something happening. We're really, really excited. And he was a bit dismissive. Oh, you know, I've been on the road, and I'm tired and busy. Anyway, he went to the group. He spent the evening with them. At the end of the evening, he said to his wife, Carol, well, Carol Kay, that group's not going anywhere. Which is interesting because it does mean that any of us can make mistakes. He could not have been more wrong, God bless him. It was the first thing I ever heard him say and it was completely wrong. He said, never go anywhere and look at us. We are the inheritors of that little small group. And the group grew and then the presence of God increased and then the thing began to, to bowl along and the, it just the spirit of God came. And historically, you look back at points in the Christian church where God came and God did something. And just like in the Old Testament, the the Israelites would throw up a little cairn of stones because they say, that's where God did this. And there could just as well be a cairn of stones in that funny house in Yorba Linda because that's where God did this. And it was only 40 years ago. And it's 30 years since this all started in this country. And God has done extraordinary things. And it's just worth remembering, it started out of desperation, and desperation for the presence of God, which is where you were when you went to visit. Yeah. Um, Just as an aside, one of the things, as they started to worship in their brokenness, this small group, which included John Wimber's wife, Carol, and and Carol's sister, Penny, who's married to a fellow called Bob Fulton, so Bob and Penny and Carol, they basically started this group. One of the things they noticed with this worship leader, Carl, was that as they, they were very used to, in the, they were very used to singing hymns and songs where they were singing to one another about God. One of the things they noticed, and they stumbled across it, quite simply, was that as they focused and actually sang to God, to Jesus rather than about him to one another. They noticed that was when the dynamic changed and something in their worship, they just discovered and the the presence of the Spirit of God seemed to be greater, seemed to be more pronounced, isn't it, as they did that. Which was, you know, foundational, I think. It, 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 It later came to light. It was foundational in our understanding of worship in the vineyard. So anyhow, um, I, I grew up in the Church of England. Uh, I, was, I was going to be a doctor. That didn't, uh, I d- decided to switch in order to, to do ministry, so the obvious place to do it was in the Church of England. That was just the tribe, the rabble, the culture, I, subculture I grew up in. Worked for, uh, in two Anglican churches, one in Dorset, one in the centre of London. And just between the two, they gave me a, sort of a mini sabbatical. And there was a man, some of you who are over 300 in age will remember an Anglican priest by the name of David Watson. He was a wonderful, wonderful evangelist, great friend of John Wimber's. He was the person, the two of them were lecturing at Fuller Seminary in California. They became friends because they lived in the hostel for visiting professors. And it was as out of that that David Watson said to John Wimber, won't you come to the UK and minister to our people in our church? That's how it all started. David Watson invited him. 
Well, I'd known David for years, and he'd said to me, I was already in this sabbatical thing, I was already coming to the East Coast, and he, all David kept saying to me is, whatever you do, don't come back from America until you've met John Wimber. Well, I'd never been to America before. I didn't know who John Wimber was from a bar of soap. So anyhow, I was due to a conference on the East Coast. Most unlike me, all, I wrote him a letter. In those, this was long before email, long before electricity, you know, <laughs> long before running water, plumbing. Um, I wrote him an email, dear Mr. Wimber, you know, can I, David Watson, who is a friend of yours, has said I should write to you, and can I come and visit? Heard nothing. And normally in our culture, well, number one, you don't invite yourself anywhere, yes? Number two, if you invite yourself and you don't get any reply, you certainly don't turn up. <laughs> so literally, I went to, J having done this thing on the east coast of the US, I went to JFK Airport. All I had was a piece of paper with a telephone number on it. And I just flew to LAX in California. I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I mean, it was idiotic. What were you wearing, John? What, were you, what did you look like when you went? <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, Jacket I didn't know. I had suits. Umbrella. And, in those days, one wore a, a suit and tie, and I had a rolled umbrella because I didn't know it didn't snow in California. <laughs> Do you know? I had a suitcase. Little leather suitcase. And I had Filofax. Do you remember Filofax? <laughs> when it used to be, before it was chic, you know, long before that. And what was everybody else in California wearing? <laughs> Hawaiian uh, well, shirts, sandals, yes. cut-offs. You know, those dreadful shirts <laughs> with large patterns on, you know what I mean, and Reeboks. And so they... you didn't quite blend. I blended perfectly. You didn't blend. And I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a household where um, chewing gum was, was in the same category as today cannabis would be in this country. It was, it was a banned substance. You weren't allowed to use it. Um, and if you got caught, you were punished. And uh, on one occasion, literally, my older brother and I bought some on holiday when parents weren't looking, sold it at a profit to my younger brother. <laughs> he got caught using, and we got punished. I lost pocket money for a month. For dealing? For dealing. <laughs> so, and whereas everybody in, in the vineyard, in, well, it was then, it was in the process of changing its name from Calvary Chapel to the vineyard, they all had these lower mandibles that were in constant movement, you know, <laughs> chewing on this gum. Anyhow, I arrived. You're muttering. Keep going. Can you hear her muttering? <laughs> hurry up, hurry up, keep going. You're boring them. You're no, boring. I no, I didn't say that. I didn't not so, say that. Um, I arrived, and I went to a thing, what they call a kinship group. I've just sent to one. And uh, it was, I'd never seen anything like it. I was used to going to a house group, where you, a small group, where you'd, a Bible study group, we called it, actually. And we'd sit around the circle and study the Bible. Great, wonderful. So I went to this group with my Bible, tucked under my arm, of course. And... Uh, we f first of all did what they called worship. Now, I was used to a quick song to warm people up, settle them down, before we got to the Bible study. So uh, we were sitting, and the worship was interminable. We went from one song to another song to another. It must have been all of 20 minutes. <laughs> and I thought, what is going to So here comes the Bible study. So I was sitting there with my Bible. No, 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 no such luck. No. The moment the worship finished, the fellow, there was an older man there who must have been at least in his you know, mid-30s, <laughs> and uh, he started waving his arm around. 
And he said, there's somebody here who's got something wrong with their arm. Wrist, I think it was. So, to which, I, 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 to be perfectly honest, my immediate thought was, well, who cares? <laughs> I, I'm not interested. I don't. That's their business. Let's get on with the Bible study. No. So at that point, across the other side of the room, there was a young woman sitting about three or four around from me, and we had happened to meet one another when we arrived, and we both discovered it was the first time for both of us. So she started waving her arm around and said, I think it's me. And she explained she'd had a bicycle accident. The thing, her arm had been in plaster, but she'd been to the hospital that very day, had the plaster removed, but it was still quite sore. So he, the old fella, said to her, would you like us to pray for you? Again, Bible study. We're, we're, being, we're wasting time. We're, we're, we're losing time. So, she, so at us, everybody got up, except me, and they all descended, and all you could see around this poor girl somewhere buried in the middle, all you could see was bottoms <laughs> leaning over, and then there was obviously, I didn't hear it, but there was obviously like a ref's whistle blew, and they all, at a given signal, they all got up and went back to their things. At which point she started getting much more animated. And it was clear to her that her, I, mean, I couldn't have said at that point she was healed, but she was clearly, she was clearly reporting that the symptoms had abated. Completely. <laughs> so uh, this one, then I went to another group, and it, it, I, I was beginning. What? Oh, that was. I went to another, another group. This is you have autocue and teleprompt. <laughs> I have a verbal one. You don't need them. So um, I went to another group. The following, literally the following night, and I was sitting on a chair, and there was a woman sitting next to me, on a what we would, well, in the old days, you used to call it a poof, but you're not allowed to call it that anymore, are you? <laughs> um, and there was a certain, and I mean, we were literally sitting there, and worship, this interminable worship was on again, and she literally flipped over backwards. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine, it was, and then the one, the one on the right did exactly the same. <laughs> Flat on the floor. So I was, anyhow, day, next day or day, I got, I got a summons to go to a place to meet this person, to have lunch with this John Wimber. So, so I went and I said, look, I was introduced to him. Big, very warm, big man. Again, dreadful Hawaiian shirt, but other than that, it was fine. And uh, I said, look, I started to stammer, you know, like, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, look, I did actually write to you, Mr. Wimber, and obviously you didn't get my letter, but da, 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 David Watson, da, 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 name dropping furiously. And he said, no, 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 we got your letter. And it did arrive. We got your letter. And we said to ourselves, when the letter arrived, we think this is the Lord. And they said, we'll know if it's God if the guy turns up. <laughs> Which is a novel approach to hospitality, <laughs> I have to say. But, but I started to relax. And I thought, and, you know, quite honestly, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, with all this nonsense going on with people flipping and, you know, arms getting mended and all that. I did genuinely wonder whether I'd landed in the middle of a cult. I mean, I genuinely did. And then I had a long, long lunch with Wimber, like one of those liquid lunches in the city of London. You know, it starts at 12 and finishes at 5 or 6 in the afternoon. And I remember quizzing him, and he said, I've read all your English. He said, I owe a great deal to your English theologians. And he rattled off a whole lot of names that you would know, books you've read. 
And he said, I, I didn't think we've got anything to add theologically and biblically. I'm just so grateful for that heritage. He said, I think the difference may be that not only do we all believe it, but he said, here, we're actually doing it. And it wasn't at all arrogant. It never came across as that. And it was accurate. It was my observation. You see, we were used to gifts of the Spirit being exercised by people on the stage up at the front. We, we didn't know that everybody, I mean, the theory we knew about you know, every member, you know, everybody gets to play, as Wimber later described it. When, um, Martin Luther described it as the priesthood of all believers. But we'd never really seen it. What they had discovered is that not only God would use you in these gifts, but he would just use ordinary people like you and me. And frankly, I never ever, I never ever thought that God would ever use me to prophesy. He might use me to lead somebody to Christ. He might use me to teach the Bible, lead a Bible study, but he'd never use me to prophesy or to have words of knowledge or to heal someone because I just wasn't holy enough. I was just, you know, I just my level of spirituality was just too low. And so there were one or two people who were very gifted, but, but that's because God loved them more and they were holier, you know, and probably an angel appeared to them in the bath and zapped them, and then, you know, they could do it and I couldn't. I mean, that was honestly how I thought. So here were these people who were basically saying, anybody can do it. And then, and then on the Sunday, I went to the, they were meeting in a sweat, very hot gymnasium. Remember, this is California in the summer, in the spring, and it was very hot. And I remember, I mean, close my eyes now, and my recollection, I remember it very clearly, by the, end of, by the end of the evening, the place was just littered with bodies and Bibles, just strewn as if they'd been scattered like confetti. God was doing And I, of course, I was intrigued by this, deeply skeptical. And I was full of questions. I'm just a, a sort of way I'm wired. I'm always asking questions. So, of course, the easiest people to question and to interview were the ones lying on the floor with their eyes shut. Because you could just, I would just, I literally, I had Filofax and a pen, and I had a list of questions, and I would just tap them on the shoulder, and they'd sort of blink and open their eyes. Excuse me, why are you lying on the floor? <laughs> Number one. Number two, aren't you very embarrassed? Which was code for, I am very embarrassed <laughs> at the way you're behaving. What are you doing on the floor? Uh, number three, I, I mean, I had to couch it a little more tactfully, but basically I was asking, are you so insecure that you, the only way you can draw attention to yourself is by lying on the floor? Is that what's going on here? Or is it, you know, is this part of your routine? You know, Friday night you go to the movies, Saturday night you go dancing, Sunday night you fall over. I mean, is that how it, is that what, I mean, seriously, that's what I was, but the more I looked at it and the more I, the answers I got what I was wanting to do is to get a set of answers that confirmed my prejudices, which meant I could pigeonhole it and dismiss it. That's really what I was after. And the trouble was, none of the answers fitted that. I couldn't do that with them in integrity. And that irritated me, but also sort of intrigued me. You know, is this really God? And they would say things, oh, yes, this happened to me a month ago. And, you know, as a result, I, I can't stop praying, or I can't stop talking to my friends in Starbucks about Jesus, or I can't stop being, you know, it was all that sort of stuff. And it was just riveting. And these vineyard people, there was just something about them. Here was I in the Church of England, loving it, intending to spend the rest of my life ministering in it. And gradually, we... we um, 
moves to we were downwardly mobile. <laughs> and um, about a year after all this, I went to California with John, and the church was then meeting in an enormous warehouse, incredibly ugly, with carpet as far as the eye could see and chairs more than any man could number. And it was a most extraordinary thing. We were then working in a church in the middle of London with a you know, steeple and an organ and stained glass and robes and pews and all that stuff. And we walked into this improbable warehouse and we looked at each other, didn't we? And we just started to cry. And we said, Lord, we've come home. This feels like home. And since then, which is now, what, 35 years ago, we've everywhere around the world you go, and you meet somebody who's coming towards the vineyard or as a part of the vineyard, and they'll say, this is where we came home. This is the parlance we use. And it did feel like that. It was so improbable and so incongruous and so not us and so inarguably true. And it was amazing. And obviously, one has to sort of shortcut a little bit, but at one point, we were out. Um, why did I tell you about Yes, that's right. And then we went out, and we went to some meeting or other that John Wimber was doing. Every time they opened the doors, Every time he had a meeting, every time he went anywhere, we just wanted to be there. We couldn't get enough of this stuff. We loved it. We absolutely loved it. And then one day, Wimber said to us jokingly, um, so what are you two going to do when you finish this job in London? Because the time was up for our, what we call curacy in the Church of England. And I said to him, jokingly, rather sort of familiar, actually, I said, well, John, when this is finished, we thought we'd come over here and be your curate. Ha, ha, ha. And he looked at me so seriously, and he just said, Eleanor, my offer to you is always going to be open. And John doesn't even remember him saying it, but as he did, something exploded inside me, and I thought, that's my future. That is the future. And that's where this huge adventure began. And we went and joined the staff. He invited us to go out to Anaheim. We went for just a month or two. We stayed for 19 months. That's where one of our boys was born. And during that time, John and Debbie came through town and we were asked whether we would entertain them because we were English and they were. So we met them and they were sweet and it was lovely and everything. And they came for about six weeks and stayed for six months. And during that time, this extraordinary friendship was forged. And we were all in a room. One, do you remember one morning we were a in a room at, at a staff meeting in Anaheim? And it was a big room and we were working in, at desks in, in pairs. It was a couple's thing. And Wimber went round the room and said, now tell us who each of you are because the staff was so big they didn't all know what each other did. And everyone must have said what they did. And John and Debbie were at the far side of the room, and we really hardly knew them. And they stood up, and they said, we're John and Debbie Wright, and we're visiting from the United Kingdom. And John said, and we believe that God has called us to go home with John and Eleanor and to start doing what they do. And we, we fell off our chair. We'd never heard they'd never, it. They'd never told us. We, we didn't have a clue. We were blown away. I mean, and we were now, delighted. And now, would you look? Would you look? You know, it's extraordinary what God has done. And from that funny little staff meeting to last night and listening to Debbie and watching the Spirit of God moving and worship that made me think I was at the steps of the throne, you think to yourself, God has been very good to us. This is amazing. So we went out and we worked in Anaheim. I'm talking quite quickly. We, talk, we worked there from 1985 for 19 months and we came home in 1987. And John and Carol laid hands on us, and John said, no, go home, just go. He didn't like big fusses and festivals and parties, couldn't bear them. And he said, just go home and build me a church. Build a church. Build a large church. He did. He said, go, go and home build, and build me a large church. Go home and build me a large church. Almost impatient. Oh, go on. Go, go and yeah. build me a big church. And then another time he said, and build me a church that will build other churches. Plant me a church that will plant others. That's what he did. That was what he really wanted. 
And so we came home, and we came home in June, June of 1987, and we, he very kindly, we had two boys by then, he very kindly gave us our airfares home, and enough very money, generous. very generous, and enough money for one month. And he said, and if this is the Lord, we think it is, but if it is, the rest will come. And that was all we had. And we came home and we lived in a borrowed house, and John went and got a proper job, which is difficult when you're a, a sort of retired curate on the second-hand market. Nobody was terribly interested. But we had a friend who gave him a job, and I, meanwhile, paced the streets of Fulham and Hammersmith in southwest London with Marcus in the buggy. He was six months old, just crying out to God. God, you've said. God, you've promised. God, you've asked. God, here we are. We've nothing. We have enough money for a month, and we've got one another. And we've got a big dream, and we've got a big vision, and we really believe that what, this is what you've told us to do. And I talked with somebody just this morning before we went to lunch, and we were talking about what God had done in these last years. And you know, I just, it sounds arrogant, and I don't want it to sound like this, but I never for a moment doubted that God would do this. I didn't know how it would work out. I didn't know what it would look like. I had no idea of the scale that this would all become. But I knew that God had spoken, and I knew that this country needed something like the vineyard. And when they laid hands on us, Wimber said to us, there are people in your country, thousands upon thousands of men, in your women, men and women in your country who want to march to the drum and who want to follow the tune. Go home, he said. Beat the drum, whistle the tune, and the people will come. And so that's what we did, and that's what began to happen. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so God has brought us a long way. Yes. In 30 years, that's what it comes down to. Now, at the same time, two other couples, Rick and Lulu Williams, and Chris and Felicity Lane, went out to Anaheim. They weren't there for quite a long. They were there probably nine, ten, eleven months. And then they came back to the UK, and they started in Teddington and St. Albans, respectively. And then Wimber said to us, um, once those three churches are established, oh, and there was, a, again, a, a further year later, there was one in Manchester, uh, Martin Linda Smith. Basically, John said, once those three or four churches are established, have been planted, get them established. Don't go straight, you know, racing off to church plant. Build a, he used the analogy of the Second World War, he called it a beachhead. In other words, get something established which demonstrate what a vineyard church might look like in English culture, British culture. So a bit like the Second World War, after landing at D-Day, um, after uh, they moved inland a little bit and then stopped and built a, a defensive you know, a, a perimeter, and then they poured in resources, all the resources you would need for an army, and then two armies formed, Montgomery and Patton went in different directions. But they, they established a beachhead so they wouldn't be driven back into the channel. And, and Wimber said exactly the same to us. You establish a beachhead, and then and from those three initial churches, um, uh, a, there were a, a lot of other churches planted over the years, and people came to us, and uh, people arrived. So, um, for example, Noni and her husband Peter, um, he was, uh, uh, was a career army officer, 
uh, they travelled ridiculous amounts of miles from wherever they were on the Wiltshire Plain, Wiltshire, Salisbury Plain. David Allison Flowers, I think I saw, maybe not, but they were in Leeds or Nottingham somewhere. And people just started to come and join, and many of whom, um, not by no means all, but some of whom, I should say, many of whom were called to pastoral ministry in one form or another. Some were called to stay, some were called to go and plant. And I don't know quite how, I mean, it just sort of happened. So Peter and Nanny came, and they went off, they went off to plant, and Nanny, as you know, has developed Grow Baby, which you may be familiar with. David and Alison went off to Leeds. John and Debbie and Duquesne came up to here. Whereas Neil and Kate, God called them to stay, and they stayed on in South East London, and then uh, in due course we handed over to them and, um, in order to do other things. And then and we did exactly the same with John and Debbie, with leading the movement here, we handed over to them two and a half years ago. So that um, this thing it needed new leadership. It needed, we'd done it for 20 something years, and you know, they were the obvious people to do it. And um, sometimes these, trans, you know how transitions work in churches and church movements. Sometimes they're absolutely hideous, sometimes they go swimmingly. And this is, a, thank the Lord. This is one of those transitions that has gone swimmingly. So probably we are closer to John and Debbie now than we've ever been. And we're proud as punch, because I think we think they're doing a brilliant job. And as I was saying earlier, we sp now spend our time helping other vineyard families get established, because you know we're developing these vineyard families, AVCs, who are popping up like mushrooms all over the world. But there are no books written on how to pioneer um, and develop a denomination in a nation. I mean, that's what it is. You don't use that language. So, you know, we're all having to, and there aren't, as I said, there aren't any books written, so we're all having to share our ignorance liberally. Because we've done it for 25 years and, and made every mistake in the book, plus a few more. And, um, you know. So that's the retrospective bit. That's looking back. And as you do, you look back and you just marvel. You think, this is amazing. Honestly, God, what an adventure. Who would have imagined that any of us in this room would get scooped up into this sort of adventure? I mean, it's just fantastic. So we've loved that. So now, of course, 30 years in, which is what the movement in this country now is, we're 30 years, we're beginning to grow up, although only just, um, we find ourselves caught up and scooped up, if you like, into a global movement. This thing is far, far bigger than any of us know. And that's what we want to talk about and about the future and what lies and that up course, the next stage. Just this morning's session, oh, the my second gosh. part, was just a glimpse into that. It was an extraordinary. Uh, you know, in the book of Revelation, there are four words that occur at least five times. Every tribe, people, language, and nation. Every tribe, every people group, every nation, it's the the word in the original is the word we get our word ethnic or ethnicity. So every people group, the whole lot, every language and dialect. And probably for the vineyard, one of our foundations was, um, well, it was almost our birth, was an attempt by people in the vineyard to speak the language of the post-war boomer, baby boomer generation. Wimber used to say often, we've got to translate this gospel, this good news, 
into a form that will be more accessible and more understandable to our contemporary generation. And that process goes on and on and on. And, you know, I mean, you go right back, it's an echo of what was happening in the 15th, 16th century. Remember Thomas Cranmer, well, William Tyndale, whose reputation is being rather revisited, isn't it, and reestablished. A huge amount of the first Bible trans that was allowed legally, you know, the authorized version, a huge amount of it was pinched from William Tyndale, even though he'd been burnt at the stake for, for translating it into English. And Thomas Cranmer, you know, who wrote the Book of Common Prayer, said in the Book of, in the Book of Common Prayer and the Articles that we need Christianity to, be in a, Christianity to be expressed in the language understanded of the people. It's the same principle. He saw it then. Wimber saw it clearly in his day. And that's a process that goes on and on. So in all the, you know, this comes back to the, the relationship between the past, the present, and the future. Because, yes, we're talking about the past and some wonderful things God has done in the past. But it doesn't, you know, as I, we were saying earlier, this is, we just hold this vineyard thing in trust and we hand it on to the next generation to the next people and we hand it on in such a way that they have you have the freedom we want you to have the same freedom that we had 30 years ago so this thing doesn't get fossilized and stuck in the 19 whatever 80s or 90s or whatever it was so we want if for those of you who are planting a church or those of you here who are thinking of planting a church, we want you to have the freedom to, 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 to interpret the vineyard, if that's right, translate it, make it understanded of the people in the generation and the culture that you're ministering to. And by definition, that we won't know what that looks like. The sociologists tell us, the religious sociologists tell us that the the sending group, as it were, cannot know what it'll look like with, the, with what the group who are sent develop. So we trust you to do it. We have to, and we want to. Rather than being lumbered with, as it were, you know, David with Saul's armor, this clunky stuff that doesn't work. You're free to, you, to listen to the voice of the Lord, for the Spirit of God to speak to you just as he has us, and then you to go and do what God has called you to do. In, and if you want to do it in the context of the vineyard, fine, let's do it together. <laughs> Wimber used to sit down with his staff at the Anaheim Vineyard, which was huge. At the beginning of every January of every year, he'd sit down with them and he'd say to them, okay, do you want to do this for another year or not? Do you want to go on or should we stop? No. Um, he didn't have to deal with HR and contracts in quite the way we do, but never mind that. I like the idea. Is this something, you know, nobody's trapped in this thing. Nobody's, you know, it's not like the law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be changed. This is what God has called us. If you want to, you know, if, we, if you want to do it as part of the Indian, wonderful. If not, you want to be part of New Frontiers or the Anglican Church or the Presbyterians or the Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, wonderful. Go do it. So, easy in, easy out. We've mentioned this morning... That's called a digression. This morning... So, I'm bringing it back. The, uh, this you. morning, we talked about Don Williams, who's one of the elders of the movement. Um, he's in his late 70s, very elderly, 
brilliant theologian, the brightest theologian we probably produced in the vineyard, amazing, close friend of Wimber's. And he's talked and written quite recently, and he says, in the vineyard we've been given a sacred trust. And it's a phrase I hadn't heard before, but it absolutely resonates. And like we've always said, we love every part of the body of Christ. And Wimber taught us that and made it a very, very important deal breaker. We do genuinely, deeply love the whole body of Christ. But having said that, God has called us to this bit of the body of Christ. And we have this sacred trust and we have something very particular, which we are determined to protect and to reproduce. So that's why we do what we do. And now, of course, it's gone wide. Now, I've got some absolutely riveting material here. It is very, very good indeed, and we have no time for it. So, uh, the God of the New Testament is a missionary God, number one. The, Holy, the, the Christ of the Gospels is a missionary Christ, number two. The Holy Spirit in Acts is a missionary spirit, number three. There you go. Oh, don't, those two quotes are good, John. Don't Which one? Silly. Which Spear. one? If you want to follow Jesus Christ, this is a wonderful quotation, you must follow him to the ends of the earth, for that is where he is going. Wasn't that worth reading? <laughs> we cannot think of God without thinking of him as a missionary God. So if you want to follow Jesus, you must follow him to the ends of the earth, because that's where he's going. And that's, I believe, why he's taken the Vineyard Global. Because the sacred trust is not just for UK and Ireland. It's not just for the Americans. It's not just for the West. It's not just for the white. It's not just for the minority world, which we now are. It's from one end of the globe to the other, from the northernmost reservations of northern Canada to the land of the long white cloud, which is New Zealand, and all the islands in between. And that map this morning told you, we're going to show you again in a minute. That's what we're for. We're going to the ends of the earth. That's great. Um, okay, let, just pause, hit the pause button for a moment. A quick advert. If you've not seen a DVD called I'm a Fool for Christ by John Wimber, I recommend, it's very dated, you know, it was obviously recorded 30 years ago, but you will enjoy it. So you need to, I'm a Fool for Christ, you get the DVD from somebody around who's got it. Um, first the thing. leg copies everywhere. Yeah, second thing. Um, his book, Power Evangelism, if you not read it, you'd enjoy reading that. Third thing, there's a book called, I'm about to quote a bit, written by a man called Roland Allen. And the Paul's... I, do you know, I can't remember the title of it. It's something to do with Paul. Paul's Missionary Methods. Paul's Missionary Methods. There you go. What would you do without me? Uh, what would I do? Paul's Missionary Methods. Roland Allen, A-double-L-E-N. And it was a book that um, was, was absolutely pivotal in Wimber's thinking when it came to the whole subject of church planting. It was actually written by an, a high church Anglican missionary who I think had been a missionary in China. And it was written, and it, nobody would publish it for the first 70 years after it was written. It was just way ahead of its time. But eventually, anyhow, in it, uh, Roland Allen says this, the book of Acts is a strictly missionary book. The conclusion is irresistible that the Holy Spirit was given as a missionary spirit. The great, fundamental, unmistakable teaching of the book of Acts, the revelation of the Holy Spirit as a missionary spirit, stands alone in the New Testament. Run down. So, 
Finally, let me finish this, this, is this, finish this section with a quote from John Stott, who is dead now. He was an Anglican uh, priest and wonderful Bible, wonderful Bible teacher. So he says, the religion of the Bible is a missionary religion. It arises from the heart of God himself and is communicated from his heart to ours. Mission, we would say maybe cross-cultural church planting, mission is the global outreach of the global people of a global God. And that's how we've all, in the vineyard, we've always understood. So whether, whether we travel huge distances culturally and or huge distances geographically, we're meant to travel. So, to, for example, in your city, there may be a group of people who um, are asylum seekers. You don't have to, you only got to travel a mile or two. In terms of distance, it's relatively small. Culturally, they come from a way different culture, you see. Equally, you might go and plant a church in, well, I don't know, Cape Town. And culturally, ge geographically, it's a huge distance. Culturally, it's not huge. But the, the, and everything in between. And that's what, we have always, that's what we've always felt, the, the, the Great Commission, was always directed to us. It always, it's always been the, the, the mandate for evangelicals, and it's always been the conservative evangelicals, as we used to call ourselves. And, and even with a vineyard spin to it, uh, or a vineyard element, that's what God's called us to do. So do you want to talk a bit about the... Yes. Um, Can you shove on the map very again? Very kindly. There's a little gang up there who are going to help me at this point. Um, just to remind you of the map that we looked at this morning, which I was impressed by yet again, actually, because the green represents countries in which the vineyard is fully formed, associations of vineyard churches like ours. And John said this morning there were 10 of those five years ago, and there are now 15, which means that we have multiplied by 50% in five years, which is a wonderful thing, and the momentum is increasing. And um, the, the, trajectory the trajectory is looking, is, is as far as we can tell, exciting. Is, is looking like that. Yes. And the green represents, in a, I'm sorry, the blue, in addition, represents the countries in which the vineyard is at work. There are 102 nations now in which there are vineyard presence, church planting presence. And uh, there are over 3,000 vineyard churches at the moment. But that is really, really increasing quite quickly, which is a wonderful thing. Once a year, we have together all the national directors of those movements that are fully developed, 15 couples in this case. And we've meet, met together for the last two years here in Nottingham. And last year, we had somebody come and help us. And, uh, talking, and we called it Discovering Our Future Together. And he was an amazingly helpful. And he put... Um, all along one wall of one of the big rooms upstairs, he made us put paper. And this is what it looked like. This is a, you won't read it all, but I'm just giving you an impression. This is a timeline. Can I do this? Because it's easier for me to see it. He said, it's a timeline. And the, if you can put it on the next slide. And then put it on the next slide. Do you see? It's starting from 1975. It started in 1975. And then in five-year ch chunks, he had us all write down what things we could remember that had happened in that period. And then it went on. Now, at the beginning, it was pretty thin. 
There wasn't a great deal. This was 1977 in a little room. In the, a little in, group in, in global, one room. Global. In the vineyard. This is the global vineyard. And then we had to bring various things that reminded us of what it had been like in those days. And that funny little picture, bottom right, is my Omnicord, which is how we started worship. Because I was the worship leader and I had an electronic Omnicord that I plugged into the wall and God had mercy on us all. And it's still... <laughs> So that was what we remembered. So the first five years it's were quite relic. thin. It's a relic. It's a relic. It's a relic, yeah. as am I. 1980, things began to pick up a little bit. 1985, yeah. we went to Anaheim. In 1987, we planted the vineyard. Would you like to send the next slide up? And then the activity starts, do you see? So from 85 on through to 95, lots and lots of activity. New countries coming on board, new endeavors starting, new people involved. Um, 1994, Toronto, all that excitement. That, that was an important, significant part of our history. Various different albums that were released. The first vineyard album out of Canada, Change My Heart, Oh God which was probably one of the most significant worship tapes of all time. And I once made the mistake of telling John Wimber I thought it was the greatest ever, and he just said to me rather coldly, I think it came from Canada. <laughs> so it wasn't his. However, we went on like that, and then, of course, 97, Wimber died. And now the next slide. And we took a bit of a knock at that point, and things began to thin out again. Uh, in the Western world, whereas in Asia, then that was, Philippines... It all started working... Uh, Again. Yes, a number of Asian countries. And then if you put the last one of those, do you see, is there one more? I think there may be one more. It's starting to pick up again. Isn't that interesting? So although you can't pick at holes in it, the trajectory is very interesting. And one of the people at that group was the, the couple who lead the vineyard in Zambia. And Glenda is the most wonderful woman. And she was, we were walking around the room doing this, and we were all buzzed and excited. And then she stopped, and she pointed at the wall, and she said, I now see it. She said, this boat set sail in 1977, and all of us have been coming on board ever since, and we're all sailing in the same way. And it was a, it was a, a real revelationary epiphany moment for her. She said, this is what we are a part of. And it doesn't matter whether you were there in 77, which of course none of us were, whether you were there in 82, which one or two of us were, or whether you just joined in in 97 or 2007, this is the voyage that we are all on. And I just thought, at the end of that, would you like to put the next slide up? This I found intriguing, after what you said about those words in the book of Revelation. There are seven people around that table, we were working together, seven languages, seven nations, one table. So go around the room. Damas the from table. Zambia, moi, not looking her best, Milton, from, uh, Milton Br Lucas Brazil. from Brazil. Uh, Ian Callow from the Philippines, Georgia Bullman from Germany and Switzerland, um, Gonzalez, no, uh, Chile, Chile, Chile. Uh, from Chile, and Noel from the Himalayas. And it just so happened... So this guy in the, the Czech blue shirt here, he's just become the national director. He's the latest national of, director. Uh, he's he's uh, from Nepal. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was interesting, we, the, every, every two years, the, all the vineyards in Asia get together. They call it Asia Summit and all the leaders get together and some of their people. And it was held in Jakarta in November, was it? Yeah, yeah. And it was a wonderful moment because he, he Noel, turned up. And there was this electric moment mm -hmm. when amongst all our Asian brothers and sisters in the vineyard, their, the first Asian national director stood to his feet and started to preach. And we just said to ourselves, this is a historic moment. Yeah, wonderful. In, and they said to us, quite honestly, 
travel and the expense of travel is the problem. There were 200 of, of us, and um, we, they said we could have easily done another conference in another part of Asia and easily have got 200, and a third conference in another part of, yet another part of Asia and at least got the same number. So there, there are lots, there's, there's an awful lot of these mushrooms popping up. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And some of the stories coming out, as I mentioned this morning from the Himalayas, are just breathtaking with whole villages coming to Jesus and with people from the church taking on the powers of darkness. They're totally fearless. Noel and his wife are really the most extraordinary leaders, completely fearless, and just real New Testament act stuff. And I'm sure we've told you before the story of one of their leaders, a woman called Mitu Didi, and Noel was literally walking down the road in Kathmandu one day, and he saw a huge dumpster. At the bottom of the dumpster, there was a little body, a little tiny crumpled body. And of course, his heart went out. He said, oh, dear God, what's going on here? And he started to pray, thinking that this was just a body. And as he started to pray, this little body started to twitch and to move. And then it sat up, and it started screaming. And it screamed, fire, fire, screamed this little body. And then Noel began to realize and prayed for her and began to get her up out of the dumpster. And she said to him, are you a god? Book of Acts. And he said, no, but I can introduce you to who is. And he led her to Jesus. She'd been a victim of terrible brutality. Her husband had beaten her with a lead rod, an iron rod, and then thrown her in the dumpster as dead. And she's now the associate pastor of the vineyard in Kathmandu. That's what we're talking about. Isn't it fun? Lovely story. Wonderful. That's why we do what we do. We are a global movement. And rattling through, we must almost stop rattling through. This is the national directors, all of us, met together last year. What a rabble. What a crew, honestly. What a crew in front of our little timeline. And then uh, next one, if you will. Oh, do you know we once went... Oh, (laughs) dear me. What a bad picture. This is... um, This is meeting with our brethren in Maasai country in Kenya. And those are the pastors of the Maasai churches. And they had sat waiting for us under this tree all day until we came. We got a bit delayed. We got delayed. And it was just, and there was a party that they had afterwards. It was just so moving to me, so moving. And we prayed with them and I thought, we have less to teach them than they have to teach us. Just extraordinary. And then pressing on, um, just one or two of these little pictures. Next one, next one, again, yes. again, again. And then the next place we went was Brazil. This is the Jingu River in Brazil. The tributary of the Amazon. The tributary of the Amazon. You know, I once went to a conference, and I shan't mention where it was or who, and um, a dear man came on the stage to give a talk about missionary work with a suitcase of slides. And flannel graph. And you know, flannel graph. flannel graph? My heart sank. I thought, Look, God, Google don't, it. Don't, Google ever, it. don't ever let us do that. And here I am doing exactly the same. This is... Yes. Oh, but I've only got about three or four. This is the Jingu River. And why I tell you this is because we went on a boat, John and I, up the Jingu, no electricity, no roads, nothing. They put us on a boat. We slept in hammocks. We couldn't change our clothes. We, it was boys and girls together. It was extraordinary. We ate piranha, which was what the pastor shot underwater from the boat with a harpoon. That's where so when we got he wasn't to. leading a Bible study, he was, he in, was, his shooting, swim, he was in his swimming trunks, you know. Shooting with... our lunch. And then, I mean, look at us. Isn't it bizarre? Look at us. And then the next one... Sweet and sour piranha. I recommend it. And there's... Better that you eat them than they eat you. And there's the little church. This is, on the right is the man who does the... Sh- this fellow in the red shirt, he was the one that shot the piranha. And there is Elba Dolan. On the left. She is the leader of the vineyards in the north of Brazil. 
She was born on the river. She lit no electricity, nothing. She watched her sisters get pregnant by 15. And she said to her mum, there must be more than this. Will you let me go to school? And they let her go to school in the nearby town. She turned out to be very bright. She needed some money, so she went and knocked on the door of the local missionaries, and she said, do you need a maid? They clean, didn't need a maid. House. I do know how to clean. I can clean. They didn't need a maid. They could do their own cleaning, but they took her in, and they led her to Jesus, and they happened to be vineyard missionaries in Puritaninja. And out of that, out of that, Elba has now emerged as the leader. She is on our Vineyard Institute Board of Theology. She's got Bible College training. She's incredibly bright. She's a phenomenal leader. And she's just... She's hilarious. She does she is, not take prisoners. She's a scream. She's a complete scream. And when she married her husband, who's an Englishman, uh, uh, an American from Columbus, Ohio, lovely man called Steve, and very pale-skinned, isn't he? Rather like you, my darling. And, um, Too much information. And she you. said to him, I will... He asked her to marry him, and she said, I will marry you on one condition, that you turn the lights off before you take your clothes off, because the glare is too great. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, isn't it just the vineyard? Don't you love it? Don't you love it? And this is where they meet. And then if you put, give me the next slide, this is the people coming to church. These are the people. This is how they do it. In this part of, of Brazil, they get around by boat. That's the yeah. only way they can get around. Yeah. So and then the then, church is all up the river, each connected by boat. And then very quickly, the last ones here, uh, we went, then went a little bit further up the river. We went past that little church, up further up the river. And then we came, keep going, to... Um, oh, dear, that's so boring. And that last one, here you go. This was the house group. This was the house group about, what, three or four hours downriver. These people were waiting for us. And we parked the boat. Or what do you do with the boat? Docked it. Docked the boat, that's what we did. And then we paddled in a canoe oh, oh, across to the shore. We walked up through the little compound, past the chickens and the cows. We sat down round a tree, and they have no instruments, they had nothing. But they had vineyard values. They did hospitality, they made us coffee, and they made us cake out of nothing. Nothing, they have nothing. And no electricity, nothing. And then here we are around the tree, worshipping the Lord, and they have no instruments, and a little lady said, now we're going to start to worship in Portuguese. And you know the first song they sang? Come, now is the time to worship. Which was written in New Malden by Brian Dirksen, who was part of the Southwest London Vineyard 20 years ago. And I thought, God, this is extraordinary. This is a global movement. This is amazing. And in exactly the same way as it had done in the early days, the Spirit of God came, and we got to pray before a lady who had a terrible bad headache. She got healed just there and then on the spot. Right across the world, these things will happen. Thank you. We can stop right there. And I told you about the Philippines, where they planted a church in the cemetery so that the poor can be there. That's what the vineyard does. That's what we have. That's our sacred trust, wherever we go. And it's lovely. It's a wonderful... And that's what you my brothers and sisters, that's what you are a part of. This is all of us. We're all in this. Everyone gets to play. And, you, and you'd be astonished. You know, you go and visit. Or would that... Do turn them off, that's fine. Please so, turn them off, that's great. Thank the, you. Sorry. The gang of national directors. You know, if you, if you had been a fly on the wall, we're meeting in March of this year in Portugal. If, if you were a fly on the wall there, you, you wouldn't... It's a remarkable, moving thing is you you know, 20, 15, 20 different nationalities. But in terms of what you and I understand the vineyard to be and the core of the vineyard, you honestly 
can't see daylight between us. It's, uh, you would instantly feel at home. I mean, it's, a, it's a something that God has done in the hearts of people around, you know, within the context of the wider body of Christ, and nobody's being exclusive, but what God has done in the hearts of these men and women who are leading, you would find, you know, language would be different, there's some of the expressions of how they do worship and do life would be very different, different in different countries, but the heart of it, the values as we talk about, the, as our Swedish friends talk about, the vineyard, vision and values. <laughs> the vision and the values are we all share the same. So naughty. So mm. naughty. It's time to stop. You'll be glad to hear. May I just pray as we finish? Can mm. I just pray for us all? Lord, we thank you for this precious, sacred trust that you've given us. Yeah. We feel so humbled and honored and thrilled to be a part of this movement that is so precious. And we thank you. We're grateful. We have, as Shakespeare said, hearts replete with thankfulness. We could not be more thankful that you've called us in our time, in our generation, in our part of the world, to bless anything that is going on in any part of the world, not least through the feet and the hands of your vineyard people. So, Lord, we ask you to bless this movement. We ask you to continue to pour out your favor on this movement. Lord, we cry out to you that you would not take your Holy Spirit from us, that you would keep us dependent upon you, that we would listen to your promptings, we would go to your places, we do what you called us to do, that this earth may be peopled with men and women who love you and follow you and are on their way to heaven, Lord. We ask for your blessing on this movement. We do not presume but we ask you for more. We thank you for all that there has been. We love our past. We're thrilled with all of that. Our history is precious to us, but God, it is as nothing compared with the promise of what is to come. Yeah. And we say, yea and amen, yes, Lord. Lord. Together, the men and the women gathered in this room, together we say, yea and amen. Yea and amen to the future. Yea and amen to the kingdom. Yea and amen to the well-being of the global vineyard from one end of the earth to the other. And the people said... Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.